today, ironically enough, on a crazy Sunday morning, I have the topic to preach to you on giving. A couple pastor's kids are excited, right? Yes, tell them, right? No, I, I'm, I am super, just ignore that stuff. If it matches, great. If it doesn't, ignore it. I'm sure it's going to be going wonky all day. Um, here, here's what I want to tell you. Number one, first and foremost, is this. I have sat through giving sermons just as you have, and I have felt super uncomfortable. To be honest, it's kind of an awkward thing to talk about because you either land on one side, which is highly legalistic, everybody should give, every Christian should tithe, we need the money, blah, 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 and that's how it comes across. Or you land on another side that doesn't talk about it because they don't like to approach things like that that are awkward because there's so many stereotypes. Trust me, I'm a pastor, I hear them. Pastor's all about the money, he wants new shoes, this, that, and the other, right? So here is, here is what I desire to share with you. And if you are new... And you heard, oh my gosh, today he's preaching on money. It's the first time in four years. And honestly, I've been, I'll tell you kind of where it came from. No, I won't because I don't have enough time. Um, but this, I, I'm, I'm excited to talk about this. And here's why. Because I think it is so needed for a Christian to understand, especially in this context with Jesus, what we're talking about when it comes to giving. But let me read to you Matthew 23, verse 23. And if you're new and you're like, oh my gosh, don't worry. If you invited friends today and you heard I'm talking about giving, oh great, you know what? I'm trying to get my friends to come to this church, not run from this church. Again, uh, I want to share with you exactly where we're going to land when it comes to giving. Matthew 23, 23. Jesus says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. cumin. They, he's saying you give your tenth, you give your tithe to the temple, but you neglect the more important matters of the law. What did he just say? There are things more important than giving. He said you give, you give your tenth, and that's great, but in the, in the midst of giving, you're neglecting more weightier, actually, is the, if you really want to translate it well from the Greek, it says more weightier matters, things that are heavier of the law, such as justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Sounds a lot like the Beatitudes, doesn't it? You got the letter of the law right, but you're missing the spirit. You got the letter of the law right when it comes to giving, but you're missing the spirit. Listen to what Jesus says. You should have practiced the latter. What does he say? You should, you should be giving. You should be practicing tithing. He said, you should be practicing the latter without neglecting the former. He is saying you are missing the spirit while just following the letter. Here is the challenge that I face. Is, and like I said, I've, I've sat through them and I've, I've heard them and been a part of campaigns and everything else. That a lot of times when it comes to giving, some place, not everywhere, but some can land on the side of very theologically legalistic in terms of Christians should tithe and the Old Testament temple is the New Testament church and you should not be robbing God. And Malachi 3 says bring to the storehouses the tenth or else you are robbing God. So you don't want to be a thief in this place today and you need to take God the 10% just like they did in the Old Testament. And, and here's what happens. You give the letter trying to get money, really, but you don't give the spirit. You don't give the spirit that is behind that. So let me be the first 
to say this. When it comes to giving, when it comes to being generous, hear me. This is crazy. The goal is not to convince you to give the church a lot of money. This is not the goal. That is totally missing the mark of what Jesus is walking through. The goal is to teach you what a generous heart can transform your spirit into. That's the goal, okay? The goal is not we need you to give a bunch of money. The goal is I want and I desperately want you to understand what a generous spirit, a generous soul, a generous heart, how it will transform every area of your life, every facet of your personality, the way you interact with people, the way you lead people, the way you talk to people, the way you treat people, when you have a generous spirit about you. Not when you check the box, write the check, drop it in there, and then go be a jerk to people all day. But when you understand the spirit of it, yes, you should be doing this, but don't neglect the weightier matters of love and justice and faithfulness. In other words, don't just err on the rigid letter of the law theology of giving, but share the spirit of what having a generous spirit can do. I'll give you an example. We, uh, Andy and I share a professor, A.J. Swoboda. He's incredible. He's a Christian theology professor. Now, catch this. This is a Ph.D., a graduate-level theology professor. I, I tell people sometimes I'm pretty liberal when it comes to theology. <gasps> oh, my gosh, pastor's a liberal. No, not in that way, okay? I'm not talking about politics. What I'm talking about is this. Let me, let me convince you you're a liberal theologically as well. Uh, do you believe people from other denominations can go to heaven? In other words, do you believe that Baptists are going to heaven? Do you believe that Pentecostals are going to heaven? Do you believe that Catholics are going to heaven? Do you believe that Methodists are going to heaven? They, they are too. They just have to wait a little longer. But do you, do you believe the Methodists are, are going to heaven? Do you believe? Then here's what you are. You are liberal theologically because all of those denominations have different theological bents to them. And if at the end of the day, if you're a follower of Jesus and you believe he died on the cross for your sins, he was buried for your sins, he rose from the dead, he's ascended to the right hand of the Father to give us new life. And when we trust him as Savior, we will live our lives transformed and be with him one day in eternity. I don't care what label you come from, denomination you come from, or what you call yourself, you are a Christian going to heaven. That is being somewhat liberal not, oh, well, what do you believe about this? Well, what do you believe? Oh, nope, then you've disqualified yourself. Here's my example. A.J. Svoboda, professor. He's um, <clears throat> talking to a class, and Andy was telling me about this story, and, and I love Dr. Svoboda. He said his six-year-old son asked him one day, he said, Dad, he said, is, is heaven the place with the most toys? Is heaven, is heaven the place with the most toys, Dad? This is, again, this is a Ph.D., brilliant theology professor. He said, I looked at my son and I said, yeah. Yeah, it is. Really? Heaven has the best toys? Yeah, heaven has the best toys. Guess what his six-year-old son did? Fell in love with heaven. Guess what his six-year-old son is excited about? Guess what he's looking forward to? Guess what he can't wait to experience? The place with the most toys. And you know what Dr. Swoboda said? 
He said, when it comes to a six-year-old, I'm not trying to teach theology or to correct his theology about heaven. He said, I'm trying to develop the affections for heaven trying to develop that love for heaven. And if heaven has to be the place with the most toys to a six-year-old boy, so he will begin to fall in love with the idea of going to heaven. And then he'll ask questions about how do I get to heaven. And then I'll be able to tell him Jesus is the only way to heaven. And then I'll be able to lead him to the truth of the gospel, to the place. He said when he's 13, he's going to know it's not the place with the most toys, right? The theology will correct, but if you develop the affections for it, it begins to transform his viewpoint. Here is, and and listen, I'd be the first to tell you, theology matters, but it's spirit of the laws where we're at with Jesus. And when we talk about giving, it is not what are the rules that you should be following. Here is my desire. I want to develop in you the affections of becoming a generous person. Just the affections, the love for being generous, for giving and giving generously and smiling about it and celebrating it and cheering it on. Because when you are a generous human being, it transforms everything. So my approach today is not letter of the law when it comes to giving. Here are the rules and here's how much and here's too little and here's not enough and this thing. It is I want you and I believe that's what Jesus wants us to do in Matthew chapter 6 to fall in love, to develop the affections of becoming a generous giver. And then you can go and sort out the theology of what is the tithe and is the tithe for today and all of those things. But today I want to help you fall in love with being generous. Matthew 6, 19 through 33. Uh, I'm going to read this entire passage, and then I'm going to break it for you up in, in three bits. This is Jesus. Remember, again, in the context of being a great follower of Jesus and living the Beatitudes and being salt and being light, here's what he says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Verse 20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and and vermin, I keep saying rust, that's how I memorize it, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Notice, contextually, this passage is in the context of the former. You can't love both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field, they grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? 
In other words, if your greatest concern is what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat and how you look, it's just a little of faith. So do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. God already knows you need food. God already knows that you need clothing. God already knows that you need shelter. Verse 33, we're going to hang here for a second, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Here's what I'm going to try to do in 10 minutes. (laughs) I'm going to try to share with you the three things that Jesus says money reveals about us. Money reveals about us three things. Number one, what's first? Money will reveal what is first in our life. Money will reveal what we're most focused on. And money will reveal where we put our faith. Money will reveal what's first. Money will reveal what is most focused on in our lives. And money will reveal where we put our faith. Let's stay with first. I know it was Matthew 6.33 towards the end. But if you're a Jew, uh, and, and let's just, let's all be really good Jews, right? Because contextually, this passage is written to a group of Jews. So he is speaking to Jews who know the rule, the law, the principle of the first. And he says to them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If we're going to be good Jews and we're going to understand what Jesus is really trying to say, we have to understand the law of the first. So I'm going to go Leviticus 23, 10 through 14. Guys, are we tracking on the screen? If not, I'm going to summarize some of this. Are we? We're there? We're there? Okay, good. We're there. Leviticus 23, 10 through 14. This is really, really important. Do a minute, bear down, and walk with me through this, and it's all going to make sense at the end. He says, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Here we go. We're the people of Israel. We're a bunch of Jews. We're in here learning. When you enter the land I am giving you, and you harvest its first crops, bring the priest a bundle of grain from the first cutting of your grain harvest. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest will lift up before the Lord so it may be accepted on your behalf. On that same day, you must sacrifice a one-year-old lamb with no defects as a burnt offering to the Lord. With it, you must present a grain offering consisting of four quarts of choice flour moistened with olive oil. It will be a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. You must also offer one quart of wine as a liquid offering. Verse 14, do not eat any bread or roasted grain or fresh kernels on that day until you bring this offering to God. In other words, he said, you need to take the first of your harvest and before you eat, before you drink, or before you do anything, you need to rush that to the temple and get it to the temple as fast as you can and make it as an offering to the Lord. And then he says, this is a permanent law for you. And it must be observed from generation to generation wherever you live. It was called the law of the first fruits. And what they did was when they had their first fruits of their first harvest, they took the very first that popped up, they rushed it as fast as they could to the temple, and they they gave it to the Lord as an offering. Leviticus 27, 26. He says, you may not dedicate a firstborn animal to the Lord. For the firstborn of your cattle, sheep, and goats already belong to him. He's saying, look, the first is mine. 
You can't dedicate it. You can't offer it. You can't bring it to me. It's already mine. Exodus 23, 19. He says, as you harvest your crops, bring the very best of the first harvest to the house of the Lord your God. Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Exodus 13 is a, is a narrative about the first fruits, and then it shows you the application of it. Exodus 13, 1 through 2, he says, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. Now, that did not mean that the firstborn was a sacrifice. It meant that the firstborn of every family was required to serve in the temple under some capacity. So if, if your firstborn child, hey, this is my firstborn child, they will honor the Lord and I will give them to the Lord for temple service for as long as he would like because they are my firstborn and I offer the Lord my first. Exodus 13, 11 through 12, it says, after the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you as he promised on an oath to you and your ancestors, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. You can trace it throughout. This is the law of first fruits. It is the law of first. Exodus 13, 14 through 16, here is why. This is, this is good for us. This is what we want. Remember, spirit of the law, not letter of the law. It lasts from generation to generation. Why do we want to give first? Why do we want to put the Lord first? Here it is, Exodus 13, 14 through 16. In the days to come when your son asks you, what does this mean? Great question, right? What does this first fruit stuff mean? What does this first law mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every woman, redeem each of my firstborn sons. Verse 16, and it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. It's a sign. Why do we give first unto the Lord? Every time we get paid, first and 15th is, is our pay cycle here at the church. Every single time, we, I pay the Lord first, I give to the Lord, and then I pay us. We put money in savings. We do a 10, 10, 80. That's exactly what we follow. We give the Lord 10, we put 10 in savings, and then we pay all of our bills. And after every single time, we say together, Lord, thank you. Lord, let this be a sign to you that you are so good, that you are so faithful. Why do we pay the Lord? Why do we give unto the Lord for Because he's given so much to us. So Lord, let this be a sign to you. We do this in our house every single two weeks. Lord, we have, we have been blessed. You have been faithful. Let this be a sign to you. Romans eleven sixteen 16 says, if the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. The principle of the first is this. When he gets the first, the rest is blessed. It's been the whole principle. All, trace it from Genesis all the way to Romans eleven sixteen. here. When he gets the first, the rest is blessed. So what we're saying is, I would rather have a portion with God's blessing than the whole thing without it. 
Because a portion with God's blessing, he's the one who multiplies fishes and loaves. He is the one who makes something out of nothing. He's the one who provides over and over and over. And if his blessing is on it, because I put him first, then the portion is going to be blessed. It's going to be cared for. I don't have to worry about this part of it. He's saying, I just want to be first. When Jesus says, but seek first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness, they instantly thought here, he's got to be number one. Have we neglected the first fruits? Have we forgot what he's told us from generation to generation to generation? Uh, I pick my kids up on Fridays. My, one of my favorite things to do. Friday's my day off, and I take my kids to school, and then I pick them up, and I picked up my daughter Zion last week on Friday, and they told me right when I picked her up, they said, hey, Next week is baking week, so make sure she wears clothes that she can destroy all week because they're going to be baking all week long. I was like, oh, man, that's so cool. She's going to love it. So I picked them up. We went home. We hung out at home. We had pizza that night. Saturday all day we had church, and then after church, Monday came, and they go to school. And then about 3.15, I'm in a meeting with Andy, and Anna calls and interrupts my meeting. And when she calls twice, you know, I'm going to pick it up. You know the rules. So I was like, okay, she's called twice. I better answer this. And so I pick up the phone, and I'm like, hey, Babe, what's going on? And she said, I am so frustrated. Oh no, what, what happened? She said, you would not believe this. She said, they let Zion bake all day long and she has destroyed, like destroyed this nice outfit that I just bought her. <laughs> you know what I did? I lied. I was like, man, that's cool. They're so irresponsible. <laughs> what are they thinking? What's, no, I'm a Christian, so I actually, I said, oh, Andy, will you give me a minute? <laughs> I was like, uh, honey, they actually told me on Friday that this week was baking week, and I just forgot to tell you. And in the most sweet, spirit-filled, loving way my wife ever could, she said, you have to tell me first. Like, why am I the last one to find out, honey? Her clothes are destroyed. I didn't send her a second outfit, so she had sourdough bread all over her all day. Like, I need to know first. When you tell me first, I can plan for everything else. It's what God is saying here. But seek first. We put him first. And when he's first, everything else comes into alignment. I don't have the time to read you Deuteronomy chapter 8. But I love Deuteronomy chapter 8. So much so that I'm going to read you Deuteronomy chapter 8, right? <laughs> Listen to this, okay? This, this is what we're talking about. Let this, let this sink in. This is a very sombering chapter for me. And I, this is a, a different, kind of a unique sermon. I'm just sharing with you a lot of my heart. This is something that I have a real heart for, as so I'll, I'll share at the end. But listen to this. Let this sink in for a moment. Deuteronomy 8, chapter, verses 6 through 18. He says, so obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water with fountains and springs that gush out in the valleys and hills. It is a land of wheat and barley, of grapevines, fig trees, and pomegranates, of olive oil and honey. It is a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. It is a land where iron is as common as stone and copper is abundant in the hills. When you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land that he is giving you. Verse 11, listen. 
So he's saying, man, when you're living in the house of your dreams and you've received the, the blessing of everything you could ever want and you're, you've eaten to your fill and your backyard's got a garden that's growing like crazy and you've got a pool back there and everything's wonderful. He's saying, when, when you're living that life, that Instagram-worthy, post-a-story-every-hour life, when you've got it going, right? He said, when you're there, verse 11, this is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey His commands, regulations, and decrees that I'm giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that moment and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock. When you were broke, he was giving you water. When you had no food, he was feeding you. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. He did all of this so that you would never say to yourself so that you would never say to yourself I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy remember the Lord your God he is the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to you and your ancestors with an oath why do we put him first so we don't forget him why do we put him first? Because when we're blessed and everything's great and everything's rolling, that we start to have the prideful thought that, man, look at what I did. Look at what I've achieved. Look at what I've accomplished. Look who I am. He said, remember, be careful not to forget. Okay, last two points in five minutes. <laughs> yeah, right. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Second thing is focus. Number one, money reveals what's first. Money will show me what's first in my life. The second thing money will reveal is what my focus is. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Three examples. Number one, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Number two, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. That's example number two. Healthy eyes, full of light. Unhealthy eyes, full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And then the last example, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money reveals what we're focused on. Money reveals what captures our affections, what we fall in love with. We can't serve both God and money. We, we, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Money reveals the light. Let's stick with Matthew 26, 22 and 23. There are a couple things going on here. One, it's speaking to extromission, not intromission. If you read it in the Greek, it's not saying when you open your eyes and you see light, it comes in. It's saying when you open your eyes, if there's light right here, it comes out. In other words, he's saying your, your eyes are the lamp showing everybody what is right here. 
It's not I open it up and I got spotlights blinding me. It's I open it up and our spotlights blinding you. Am I the light of the world? Do you see out of me? And then there are two words that are going on here. I want to read them to you. One is healthy. He says, but if your eyes are healthy, that's the Greek word haplos. It's been translated generous over and over and over. So he's saying if your eyes are generous, your whole body will be full of light. And then he says, but if your eyes are unhealthy, paneros. It's a Greek word that means stingy. He said, but if your eyes are stingy, your whole body will be filled with darkness. In other words, he's saying a stingy spirit, an ungenerous spirit, someone who doesn't want to give and doesn't want to help, doesn't want to be part of that. He's saying it's not just out here, it's right here. And he's saying something is, is going on here, and when they open their eyes, when they open their mouth, it comes out in a way that other people experience it. Let me read you what one commentator said. I think it was Stott. It may have been Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's for sure a dead European theologian. That's about all I read. So it's one of those guys. Here's what he says. Jesus, using this language metaphorically, affirms that if a man's spiritual sense is healthy and his affections directed towards heavenly treasure, his whole personality will be without blemish. But if that spiritual sense is diseased by a false sense of values or by covetedness or by a grudging, ungenerous spirit, he will rapidly become disingenuous. I knew a, a man who was just crazy wealthy. He was incredibly, incredibly rich. And he was a guy who, if, if you liked it, he either bought it for you or he gave it to you. He, I mean, you're like, wow, that's really cool. Oh, take it. You can have it. I'm like, a $1,200 guitar. He's like, oh, I got three of them. Take it. It's yours. Enjoy. He was just so generous. He was the guy you go to dinner with and he upgrades your meal for you, right? You're like, you want the eight ounce or the 12 ounce filet? And I'll take the eight ounce. No, 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 get the 12. I'm buying. Come on. Like, upgrade him. Get it. And, and do the, the appetizers for him. I mean, he's just crazy generous. Gave away everything. Was so, he just, he just oozed this joyful, happy, loving, generous spirit. And so I asked him, I said, how on earth are you so generous? Like, what is it about you that makes you so generous? And he told me a story uh, that just brought us both to tears. He said, man, I used to make a lot of money and be very stingy. He said, I never gave to anything. I was, I was very stingy about it. And he said, I went on a missions trip to Mexico. And he said, while I was in Mexico, I had no idea what I was signing up for, but I knew God wanted me to go. So I paid to go and I went and I'm sitting there. And he said, we were feeding these street orphans, these kids that had no parents running around the streets. They were barefoot. They had tattered clothes, no money. They were just starved to death. And he said, so we would feed them three times a week and it was the only food that they would get. They would get that food, they'd portion it up, and then they would save it so that it lasted throughout the week. And so he said, we're sitting there, and we got tortillas and rice. He said, tortillas and rice. And he said, I'm sitting there, and I'm serving this kid. His name was Antonio. He said, I gave Antonio a tortilla, and I gave him rice. And he, he saved the rice in this reusable Tupperware that he carried around, and he, he had the tortilla. And he said, I was sitting there, and my heart was breaking. And I looked at him, and he said, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to communicate. So I just said to him, wow, that tortilla looks really good. It's like that, I, that's what I said. And he said, the kid smiled ear to ear. He said, yeah, yeah. And he ripped it in half. And he started to give it to him. And he said, I realized, he thought I was saying it looks really good. Like, can I have some? 
And I, he said, I was like, oh, gosh, no, no. Like, no, I can't have that. And the kid was, no, yes, here, please take it. It's so good. And he kept, he kept for it. And he said, I would have never taken food from a poor kid's mouth. But he was so excited to give it to me that I felt like he would have been heartbroken had I not taken it. So he said, I took this half a tortilla from a kid who gets it three days a week and it's his only meal. And he said, I sat there and I chewed on that thing and tears ran down my face. So I was just crying like, and he was smiling like, good, 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 right? And he's eating his and he said, I just, I ate it. And, I, and he said, I asked myself this question. Have I ever been as generous as that boy? He said, would I ever have done what that little boy did with his tortilla? I've got millions of dollars. I've got everything that I could ever want. And yet this kid is more generous than me. He said, so I came back and I decided I'm be the most generous person anybody's ever met. He said, I started, he said, I started giving, he used a little Texas French on me. He said, I started giving stuff away. He, he, said, he said, I started giving stuff away. I started giving everything away. He said, I, was give, I gave away a car. I gave away anything in my garage. Anybody that wanted something, I gave it away. I started giving money away. I started, and he said, I have never been happier than when I'm giving. Giving reveals what we're focused on. And we can't serve both God and money. There has to be a light coming out of us and it generates from a gracious spirit. And when we're generous and we're giving, it changes everything about us. It begins to transform how we see people, how we treat people, what we do for people. When we're generous, it changes us. So he says, number one, it shows what's first. Number two, it shows what we're focused on. And then number three, Matthew 6, 25 through 32. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Now remember, contextually, this is for people who are putting God first. That's important to understand at the end. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns that your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can anyone add a single hour to their life by worrying? Uh, let me just summarize through this. And you who do not worry about your clothes, see the flowers of the field. They do not labor or spin. Yet even Solomon in all of his disarray was dressed not like one of these. And on and on and on. You get the point. He's saying, where is your faith? Is your faith in stuff? Is your faith in clothes? Is your faith in food? Is your faith in 401k? Is your faith in your paycheck? Is your faith in your bank account? Because once one of those things get hit, what do we say? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. What am I going to do? The pandemic wasn't scary until late March when the market began to crash. And then I had people coming to me for prayer. It was like, virus? What virus? This is ridiculous. I'm down 40%. What? Pray for me. Pray that God will provide. Pray that God will bless. And th those are scary things, and those are fearful things, but not when you trust the Lord. Not when he is first. And not when you know that he clothes the lilies of the field, that he cares for the birds, that he, he knows what we need, and he will provide. Let me finish right here. I just, I feel led to share this with you. Because uh, like I said, this is, this is kind of a unique sermon. It's not usually kind of how we approach it. But nonetheless, this is something that I'm very passionate about. When I was 14, I shined shoes at a golf course. 
Wolf Creek Golf Course, a private men's course, and I got a job there, and minimum wage was five twenty-five an hour, I remember, and now they're talking about 15 bucks an hour, kids are spoiled, man, uh, that's the old man in me, right, but I remember five twenty-five an hour, I'd get a $60 paycheck, and I had a small group leader teach me about giving to God. And he said, take the whole number, knock the last whole number off, and that's what you give to God. So I got a $60 paycheck, and I gave God six bucks. Never forget it. Dropped it in a youth offering. Gave six bucks. Made 80 bucks, I gave God eight bucks. Made 100 bucks, I gave God 10 bucks. I started that at 14, I've never quit. Never quit. Every single time I've been paid from anything, and man, I think back to, you want to talk about broke. When we first got married, man, we had nothing. We had, we were grinding, both grinding. We used to, you remember those Little Caesars date nights we would go to? We could afford the $5 hot and ready, but we couldn't afford the crazy bread. It was like torture, you know? Like our rent was 500 bucks for our apartment. Like that's, <laughs> you rent a $500 apartment, you know what I'm talking about, right? It was just, we, we would show up, we would walk there so we didn't waste gas. We'd buy a $5 hot and ready. We dreamed of crazy bread one day and then we'd eat it, you know? And that was our date night. We moved out of there and moved into my in-law's basement. God bless my in-laws for their generosity and slept on a mattress on the floor of my in-law's basement to save money. Just grinding, trying to make things happen. But every time we got paid, we gave God. We, we put God first. Every single time. And we have walked through crazy things financially. We have walked through, I, I have a child who's got some pretty intense medical needs. And there have been times where we have gotten doctor's bills and we had absolutely no idea. I have had side hustles. I have sold stuff. I catered oil rigs from South Texas to North Louisiana every weekend. I mean, I did anything I could to make things work. And every time we put God first, and I'll just tell you, man, he has been so faithful. My gosh, he's been so faithful. He has been so good. I have, we have had an envelope of money given to us that was the exact amount of a doctor's bill. We had one time where we had a bill arrive surprisingly, and all of a sudden we turned around and our, our escrow said, you paid too much into your escrow. It was the exact amount check given to us that the, the doctor's bill was. And I mean, we have seen crazy things happen. I've loved the journey with you. And here's what I know. We are blessed today. Man, we are in a great space. The Lord has been so good. He's been so faithful. And I need to clarify when the pastor says he's preaching about money and says, I'm very blessed. There's a lot that can fly about that. We have a board of trustees that decide what I get paid. I don't just decide what I want and walk away with it, right? Like we have, we have protocols and structure in place. Come to our home. I'll tell you all about them. But I'll just tell you, we're, we're blessed. And I look back on that and I am 100% convinced. Nobody will convince me otherwise. It's because at 14 I learned how to put God first. And every single check before God, I've said, Lord, you're first. Because here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to worry. I don't want to worry about what I'm going to wear. I don't want to worry. I'll put my faith in you and give to you and let you figure out the rest. Because this is your thing now. When he's first, that's his. He's dealing with all this. He's making it work out. And I am convinced, as convinced, as convinced that putting God first has been the only reason we are here today. We've never missed a bill. God has blessed our family. And it's only because we put him first. And that's where our faith lies.
All of our faith lies in that. I don't care if we lost everything that we had tomorrow and had $10 to our name, $1 going to the Lord. We're going to put him first, we're going to trust him, and we're going to see him move.